Good morning. Glad you are all here today. I know you can't tell it by the weather outside, but it's officially summer. And you know what that means? Absolutely no escape from our children. (laughs) Which, obviously, I'm good with if my kids are in here. Um, If they're not, though, summer's wild, all right? Summer, and and in our family, uh, my wife is an assistant principal in a middle school, and she's an 11-month employee, so she's got another month of working, so she's continuing to work. The kids are home. That's its own kind of crazy, and then she's off for a month, and you guys know Jess. She is action-packed all the time, and so that month that we're off, she slams in as much stuff as we can possibly get into our life. By the time we finish out and school starts back in the fall, I'm just coming up for air. You know, I'm just trying to breathe and make it through, and that first day that Jess is at work and the kids go back to school and I can set a schedule for the next, like, three months, whoo, I'm a happy guy, all right? So summer is crazy, and it can be wild. And so during the summer, we kind of like to do something with our teaching and with our services where we don't have one week relying on the week before it. Because not only is our schedule crazy, I know yours is too, and people are in and out of town, and it's Memorial Day weekend. So, you know, Memorial Day weekend today, uh, happy Memorial Day, by the way. Um, You know, Memorial Day weekend comes around and we're like, school's out, it's a holiday weekend. We're like, well, I don't know who's going to show up, but you're here, and I'm glad that you're here and you joined us today. Things are going to get crazy this summer, so we're going to do some fun things, some interesting things, but they won't depend week to week, uh, kind of like we did with Romans, where every week was building as we went through. And so we're going to do something a little different. Thought, um, let's do something light. And so we are going to be um, teaching for the next five weeks from the book of Hebrews, which if you know Hebrews, you know it's not light. Now, this, the, the, the part that we're going to do is, though, uh, we're not going to do a full study of Hebrews. There's no way you could do that in five weeks. But coming out of our almost year-long series in the book of Romans, where we were talking about the gospel, the good news, what is it? And we learned that the good news is that even though we are sinful and there's no way we could make ourselves right in front of God, God offers a way for us to be justified before him. And it's not through our works. It's not through what we do. It's not through self-effort or being good or being moral or going to church or holding doors open for people or giving to charity or any of that. It is by the grace of God through faith in Jesus, and that's it. We trust Christ for salvation to do what we can't do. We trust him for salvation, his death on the cross and his resurrection, put our faith in him, and we can be justified before God. That's great news. Great news. But that doesn't mean God is done with us. It's not like we put our faith in Jesus for salvation, we're forgiven for our sins, and now we're all this, you know, everything's the same through the rest of our life, or everything is good through the rest of our life. No, 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 no. Now we're on a lifelong journey of being transformed. And how much we're transformed, how much we look like Jesus is up to us and how faithful we will be to him and how committed we will be to him. And this journey is led by the Holy Spirit in our life. As he teaches us in scripture, as he encourages us, and then he transforms us into the image of Jesus. And our goal is to get there as fast as we possibly can. To be as much like Jesus as we possibly can. That is the call of a Christian. Out of love for God, not out of obligation or fear, but out of love for God, appreciation to him, and knowing what's waiting for us when we will be a part of Christ's kingdom, when we will be with God forever, and that transformation will be complete. Out of appreciation, we're moving our life in that direction right now as much as we possibly can. 
So that's what we talked about and how we stick together and, and how we're supposed to support each other and have grace for each other as we all go through that process. That was Romans. But it left me feeling last week we, we, we talked about... Um, we talked about committing ourselves to the gospel, transforming our actions every single day. So now that I know this, this is how God works. This is how our relationship works. What now? What do I do with it? So I thought it would be a great idea to, to, to follow this up as we head into the series by looking at some practical examples of how to live based on the faith that you have. So in the book of Hebrews, there's a section we often call the Hall of Faith. It's roughly uh, chapters 11 and 12 in Hebrews. And Hebrews is dense and there's incredible teaching in the book of Hebrews. But right here, the author of Hebrews gives us a bunch of examples of people who lived by faith, what they did, what their faith led them to do. So that's what we're going to do over the next five weeks. We're going to look at the first five people listed in Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to say, what did they do? So what should I do? What does faith look like in my life as I live it out? Okay. Now, before we jump in, and we're actually going to jump in in chapter 10 to give us a little bit of, a bit of, a little bit of context, if you're turning there in your Bibles. But first of all, just quick about Hebrews. This is, Hebrews is an interesting book because it is the only book in the New Testament that we do not technically know the author of. All right, we don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews, which is why if you've ever heard me reference the book of Hebrews in our services, I always say the author of Hebrews. I never give a name because we don't really know. Now, there are a lot of people that think it was Paul, but Paul usually signed his letters, and so, and he didn't sign this one, and so we don't really know whether it was Paul or not. Might have been. There's a lot of things in Hebrews that sound like Paul, but then there's a lot of things in Hebrews that don't sound like Paul. So maybe it was him. And there's a few that I'm going to point out here that are like, that's very, that's very Pauline. <laughs> you know, some of the phrasing that he uses or words or how he uses them. Um, but it might have been him or it might have been somebody who learned from him as well. It could have been someone like Apollos who, who wrote the big book of Hebrews, but we don't know. So I'm not going to say as we go through. But also, there's almost a, um, to me, the fact that we don't know the author of Hebrews, um, even though we certainly know that it's legitimate um, and historical, uh, it, 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 it almost lends some more, I don't know the right word, um, I want to say credibility, but that's not the word, uh, some interest to the book, because the author is not the focus of it, and can't be, because we don't know who it is. So the content is the focus of it, which I think is really interesting and unique. Um, and so what we're going to do, we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, come into Hebrews chapter 10. And um, the author's been talking about how now that the veil has been lifted, the, the, the disconnect between us and God has been removed in Christ, we now have access to the Father through Christ. All right, so that's, that's what he's been talking about. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to start in chapter 10, verse 22. I love listening to the rain. Sorry, I can't help it. I was going to say something earlier. Some of you, this is very calming and soothing for some of you, and some of you are like, I hope it stops before I have to go to my car. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I hope it stops before I have to get all my gear out to the truck and load it all up. I don't want to get soaked either. But anyway, I'm just going to take a minute to recognize the peace of the calm of what's going on as the rain lands on the roof and Lord ends before the service is over. Amen. All right. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near, that's near to God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance 
of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Uh, maybe that's what the rain is, by the way. Maybe he's planning to have you washed with pure water as you leave here today. Now, what's that talking about? He's, he's saying now that we have this hope, we know that we can come into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. Let's have confidence in the faith that we have. Let's be assured of it. Let's stand strongly on it. And as a, and as a result, sprinkle our hearts from an evil conscience and wash our bodies with pure water. Let's purify ourselves, remove sin, commit to Christ-likeness in our life. Let us hold fast to that confession of our hope and not waver because we know God fulfills his promises. We know he fulfills his promises. We know that there is reward waiting for us. We know that eternal life is just beginning now. This is a sliver of our life. And so let's stand in it confidently and walk in it confidently. Verse 32, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, so this was after they put their trust in Jesus, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Now this is written to the Hebrews, so this is written to Jewish believers, okay? And might very well have been written to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, which we talked a little bit about in the Romans series because Paul talked about this offering, this collection that he was doing for the Christians that were there because of the suffering that they were facing. So that may be the same suffering that is being referenced right here. They were impoverished. They were poor. They were, they were persecuted. They were cast out. They were being um, um, attacked by the, uh, the Jewish, the rule, uh, ruling authorities that were there. So they were in the middle of it. And he says, verse 33, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, these are the, the uh, persecution they were facing, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. So it drew you together in unity and faith in that difficulty. Verse 34, for you had compassion on me in my chains. It's one of those little things that goes, is this Paul? Maybe it's Paul. You had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Now listen, this is one of the key marks of a spiritually mature believer. A spiritually mature believer understands that their reward and their possession and their wealth is in heaven, not here. A spiritually mature believer focuses more on the reward that is coming and will be granted by God than the reward that is here and is granted by other people. And so he's saying, you, in the face of your trouble, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods because you knew that your faithfulness, even in that trial, was earning for you reward later. This is a very important thing for us as believers to understand. All right, there, there's an idea, the, there's the idea out there in Christianity that God will not judge us. That's not true. God will judge you and he will judge me. Now we are, we are not going to be judged for our sins because Christ paid for them on the cross. I've been forgiven of them, past, present, future, God knows all of them. I've been forgiven for my sins. Those will not be held against me directly. I will not be punished for those. But I will be and you will be rewarded for how faithful we were to God here. 
for how well, how committed we were to being transformed into the image of Jesus by the sacrifices that we made in his name, giving up things here for things there, by the the level of purity and holiness and righteousness that we reach here. We are proving to God that we are faithful and that we love him. And we will be judged. We will be judged for those things. And every moment that you spend sinning is a waste of your time and waste of your life. It's just taking you in the other direction. But the moments where we commit ourselves to him, where we are pure and holy and righteous, where we are listening to him and doing what he wants us to do, even if it costs us something, those things we will be rewarded for. And so he's looking at these Christians and he's saying, you were in the face, you were having things taken away from you, stripped away from you. Worldly things were plundered from you. And yet you endured it gladly because you knew that your wealth was coming later, that your inheritance was coming later. And this is one of the marks of a truly mature believer. Honestly, the willingness to wait for later gratification is one of the things in general that separates a wise person from a foolish person. (laughs) A foolish person is only worried about what they have right now. But a wise person is thinking about what comes later, and they are willing to sacrifice now so that they will have later. The same is true of a wise Christian. And that's why you see, by the way, foolish people in our world get into get-rich-quick schemes and get into tons and tons of debt and everything. It's because i got to have it right now and I can't wait. Right? That's the difference between wisdom and foolishness. And a wise Christian understands that their wealth, their inheritance, their reward is coming later. And so they are willing to sacrifice now for what will be then. Therefore, verse 35, therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And then he quotes, it's kind of a mashup from Isaiah and Habakkuk. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We want to please God and we want to honor God. And so our commitment is we will live by faith. We will live by faith and we will not fall back into all those old ways of living. We will not fall back into living the same way that everyone else lives. All right. We are not going to draw back And he wants, the author in this section wants to show how to do this. How to live by faith and not draw back into what once was in your life. Don't continue to to wallow in the same lowly life that everyone around us is living. But to be drawn to higher levels and to live like Christ. And so he says, I love the technique. There's a technique here in verse 39. Verse 39. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now, this is, like I said, it's a technique. I use this with my kids. Do I have any of my, are any of my kids in the room? Are they all serving in Carolina kids? Usually they're back there in that corner. That's why I'm looking up right up there. I don't think they're back there. Are they back there, Jesse? Oh, good. All right, so, (laughs) hey, you know, um, 
Sorry. I grew up, my dad was a pastor, and so I grew up, uh, you know, going to church every single week, and I just never, when dad talked about me, it was either great or terrible. That's all I know. And so I just, but I kind of like getting the shout out. But anyway, um, uh, I use this technique with my kids, and it's good they're not in here because um, then they won't know that I'm doing this. But um, so I will often, as a motivational technique for my kids, when, let's say one of uh, my boys is rude or unkind to their sister, right? First thing I have to do is point out their behavior so that they know what they did and that it was wrong. But then I'll often say a phrase like this. I'll say, you were unkind to your sister, but you are not an unkind person, are you? Because I want him to make an attachment between who he is or who he knows he is supposed to be and how his behavior contrasted with that character. So he understands, oh, yes, I am kind, and I want to be kind, and the character is the important part, not the behavior. But the character is the important part. I am a kind person, and that behavior didn't match who I know I'm supposed to be, so I'm not going to do that behavior anymore because this is who I am. All right, this is, this is character development. And I see a little bit of that technique right here with Paul, or not Paul, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to have it. Listen, for a year we were reading from Romans, so, you know, I go right to it. All right. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition. We don't do that, do we? We're not going back to that old way of living. We're not living like that. We're not thinking like that. We're not feeling like that. That's not you anymore. That's not me anymore. We are not of those who draw back to perdition. The word perdition, um, by the way, not a word we use very often, although it's a great Tom Hanks movie, uh, Road to Perdition. But anyway, I mean, if Tom Hanks is in it, it's great. But anyway... Perdition is destruction or ruin. Okay. So we are not the people who are drawn back to ruin. That's foolish. That's not us. That's not you or that me. That's not me. We are those who believe to the saving of the soul. And this is one of the places where I wonder if Paul wrote this because this saving of the soul, this isn't about justification here. It's not about being made right in front of God. It's about being delivered here and now. Amen. Being delivered here from the consequence of sin. We're not going to live that way anymore. Why would we let that back in? Why would we draw back? To, why would we fall back to that? No, we're living a different life. We're living a different life. We are walking in purity and holiness out of our love for God. And so we're following him as closely as we can and being drawn into the image of Jesus as much as we can. So you're not of those who draw back to perdition. No, 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 no. We are of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And so we are going to do exactly what the scripture, exactly what the prophecy said. We are going to live by faith. We're going to live by faith. All right, let's turn into uh, chapter 11. What is faith? It can feel very intangible, can it? What is faith? Faith, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders, those who came before the elders, obtained a good testimony That's what we're going to see. That's what the examples are going to be here. Verse 3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Why does he use this example? Well, for one thing, none of us saw the creation of the world. But we believe that God created it. Trust that he created it. Now, how he created it, how long it took, that's a matter of discussion that we're not going to get into today. But regardless, 
we trust and believe that God took and created something out of nothing. And all of this is here today. And we have to believe that by faith because we weren't there. Couldn't see it. Can't see it. Time machines haven't been invented yet that I know of. There's a problem with the time-space continuum. I don't know if you can even do it. That's another discussion too. Probably not for church. (laughs) But we we trust by faith. Faith is believing in something you can't see enough to act on it. Believing in something you can't see enough to put your confidence in it. Which some people say, you know, faith is ridiculous. We need to only operate based on what we know. Uh, But the problem is, as human beings, we have to live by faith every single day in small things. Everybody is forced to live by faith because nobody can know everything. Nobody can know everything that's going on. We we live in faith all the time. We put our faith in silly stuff and in all kinds of stuff all the time. I like the analogy um, of uh, the brakes on my truck. I think it's a good analogy. Like, I know how braking systems work. You push the pedal, there's brake fluid in the lines, it creates pressure in the lines, and then the lines take the calipers and squeeze the brake pads down on the rotor, and when the brake pads squeeze down on the rotor, that stops the wheel. Like, I know how the the system works. But I do not inspect the brake system in my truck every time I get into it. I don't, I ever, before, I, before I turn the car or the truck on, I don't get under the car and make sure all the lines are connected and that the, brake, the pressure in the brake line is that they've been bled and that the, the pads are good and that the rotors are in good condition. I don't go and check all that stuff. I get into the truck and I have faith that the brakes are going to work. And that faith, when is, when is that faith made Evident. When, it is, when is it made real? When is it put to the test? When I push the pedal. But you know what? It's funny. I don't usually push the pedal until if the brakes didn't work, I'd have a real situation on my hands. I trust that the brakes are going to work. I have faith that the brakes are going to work. And because I have such confidence in the brakes, I put my trust in it and I act on it. And so when I'm driving up behind that car going 55 miles an hour and it stopped at the stoplight and I don't hit those brakes until I'm, you know, 300 yards back from the car, I'm putting an awful lot of faith in the brake system. Why do I have faith in the brake system? Because it hasn't failed me yet. Except when I grew up in New York on icy roads. And then sometimes it's not the brake system's fault. But I'll tell you, if your brakes give out on you, you'll think twice every time you push that pedal from then on. What is faith in God? Faith is having enough confidence in him and his promises because he's proved us and he's never failed us before. He's proved over and over and over again that he's faithful. It's having enough confidence in God to walk through life pressing that pedal all the time. And saying, I'm going to give my life fully to God and trust that the rewards that he's promised me, that they are coming later. And so I will give up absolutely anything he asks me to. So that I can bring honor and glory to him. Now, I don't know about you, but as much as I know this in my head and I want this in my heart, I don't know that I do this as much as I want to. 
I don't know that my actions match up with the character as much as they should. And I have a tendency to put my trust in things here and now more than I put my trust in things there. And this is a big movement that needs to happen in me, and it's a big movement that needs to happen in you as well. And so what we're going to do over the next five weeks is we're going to look at the first five examples he gives in Hebrews chapter 11. And then he goes on and he fleshes some of them out even more as you go through chapter 12. But in chapter 11, we're going to look at the first five. And today, we're going to talk about Abel. And understand that God is looking at us, okay? Uh, That the only evidence of our faith, because faith is intangible, the only evidence of our faith is our actions. That's why James said, faith without works is dead. How, how, How can you say that you have faith You believe in God, you trust God, yet you're not acting on it. That doesn't make any sense. And God is assessing our faithfulness, but he's not measuring it by intentions. He's measuring it by actions. And so we're going to look at Abel today. And uh, we're going to read in verse 4. All right, very short. So each of these is is very short. It's just one verse or two verses for each of these people. So then we're going to go back and look at their story. All right, so Abel, verse 4. By faith, so faith is what Abel had. Now, what did he do? By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. He obtained witness, evidence, okay? This action was evidence of his faith. God testifying of his gifts And through it, he, being dead, still speaks. So he created a testimony for us to see, an example, evidence for us to see, evidence of his faith. And it was by making this offering that was acceptable when Cain, his brother, his offering wasn't acceptable. All right, so let's go to Genesis chapter 4. We'll see exactly what happened. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife, I always felt like that should be in quotation marks, but he knew his wife, Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Which I think is hilarious. (laughs) It's just a funny way to say it. All right. I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, And Cain was a tiller of the ground. So Abel's a shepherd. Cain is a farmer. Verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And as you know the story, it just spiraled down from there until ultimately Cain kills his brother Abel, which sounds ridiculous until you have a brother. You know? <laughs> and then you realize, I grew, I grew up with a younger brother that I considered quite a pest. And so we would, um, my mom called it bucking antlers. That's what she would say. 
in her own Donna Allen way. She'd be like, those boys are just bucking antlers. <laughs> she didn't have a southern accent, but still, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for, for effect. Anyway, and this obviously an extreme case of this, but, but so God, this is so, this is really feels bizarre. Reading through it, did it seem a little bizarre? Like God, Cain brings an offering of what he has. So he's a farmer and that's what he has. He has crops. And so he brings his crops. Abel is a shepherd and he brings of his flock and God accepts Abel's offering, but not Cain's. Why? It's, it seems like such an odd thing because the, the scripture doesn't explicitly tell us why. Just that God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's. Why would that be? Now, some people have, have, suggested that the reason was because uh, you need uh, to atone for sins. There has to be a, a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, and then animal sacrifice until Jesus gave his blood on our behalf. And so maybe it was because Abel brought uh, the, his from, from, the, from the flock while Cain brought grain, and grain can't atone for sin. And so I guess that makes some sense, but also it doesn't appear that this is an offering of atonement. This seems to be an offering of thanks and gratitude. So why would he accept Abel's offering and not Cain's? Well, I think that the answer is here, but it's very subtle. I think it's actually one word that gives us the key as to why Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was not. Because it tells us that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And it tells us that Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock. And what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that what Abel did was demonstrated his faith. So if he demonstrated his faith, it means that Cain did not demonstrate his faith with his offering. And I think the key is in the fact that Abel brought of his firstborn to God, while Cain brought some of the fruit Cain brought some of his produce. That doesn't require faith. But Abel brought of the firstborn, and that does. It takes faith to give when you don't have what's coming yet. It takes faith to sacrifice when you aren't sure what is going to come next. Unless you're like Abel and your faith is that God will bring what is next. And then the firstborn doesn't even seem like that much of a sacrifice because Abel is so confident in what God is going to do. Whereas Cain brings some of what he has, which doesn't require any faith. And that's the hard thing about faith. Faith has to be built on the confidence that God is going to do something later. Faith is the willingness to say right now, I will sacrifice now. I will give up now. I will endure persecution now. I will be an outsider now. I will give up financial gain now. I will give up my time now. I will not get ahead as fast as other people around me now because I know what is coming then. That is what faith does in our life. 
And if we truly have faith that God will reward us, if we truly have faith that we have everlasting life, if we truly have faith that Jesus is returning, then the decisions we make in our life will reflect that. And we will be willing to make the sacrifices, willing to make the changes that we need to make in order to have that then and honor God now. As you're thinking about your own life, as I think about my own life and what God wants me to do, the decision he needs me to make in order for tomorrow me to look significantly more like Jesus than I look like today. That decision is going to require some level of sacrifice on my part. Now, that might be, seem very small or it may seem really, really huge. And the question that I have to answer, and as you think about your step, whatever it is that God wants to change in you, the decision he wants you to make that is going to require some level of sacrifice, whether that seems small or whether that seems massive, the question is, Am I willing to pay that price now knowing that later God will reward me for it? Am I willing to endure the pain of this now knowing what it will mean later? And the answer to that question will separate a maturing believer from a believer who is drawing back. Which do you want to be? There's going to be a cost. He may want to make a change in the relationship that you're in. Are you willing to do it? He wants you to support something financially. Will will you give it up? Will you sacrifice it if that's what he wants you to do? He wants you to make a change in your career. You're not in the job that is going to allow you to bring him the most honor and glory and be who he's called you to be. Are you willing to do it? He wants you to stop doing something that you really enjoy because it's pulling you away from Jesus. Are you willing? He wants you to start doing something that's going to take time. Time away from other things. Are you willing to rearrange your schedule for him? He wants you to completely alter the direction of your life. Your future, what you're looking for, what you're pursuing. Are you willing to reorient your life to be more like Christ? To be faithful? You are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of your soul. Are you willing in faith to make the sacrifice like Abel did, not knowing what it's going to mean for you here and now, but knowing what it means for you in eternity? Are you willing to do that?
Are we willing to pay the price like Abel did? That's what this really means, by the way. Because we can sit around and we, we, we can talk about the gospel and we can understand it and we can know, yes, I'm saved by faith in Jesus Christ, by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm saved. I'm a, I'm a child of God and he wants to transform me into the image of Jesus and I'm trying to do that day by day and, and making little decisions and all that. We, we, can, we can say all of that. We can say all of that but not actually really be committed in our heart to it. We can say all of that and we can do the things that are easy or we can do the things that other people see or we can do the things that are cheap and still not be fully committed in our heart to giving our entire life over to him. And saying, yeah, okay, all right, yeah, all this stuff, I'm doing pretty good. I'm making progress and whatever. But we have these big things existing in our life, big tensions, big contrasts between who we say we are and what our behavior actually looks like. And we're like, I'll get to those later. That'll work itself out eventually. It's no big deal. It's not a big deal. We'll just let that go. Because I don't really want to give that thing up. I really like having X, Y, Z. I really like doing this I really like spending my time that way. Are you willing? What is, what, is the, what is the condition and position of your heart? Are you truly committed to him? What I can promise you on his behalf is that every sacrifice you make in his name is more than worth it. It will more than pay off. But maybe not now. Maybe not now. The confidence that we have, the the assurance that we have, the foundation that we build our life on are the promises of God. And the promise of God is that all that you do in his name will be rewarded. Now listen, the reason you do it, I pray, and the reason that I do it is not for the reward. It's not because I'm trying to build up a big bankroll in heaven or something. But because I want to bring honor and glory to God with all of my life as much as possible. And those two things go together. What a blessing. And to know that God will be brought honor and glory makes all of it worth it. And so I want to encourage you. Maybe maybe you've been a, a Christian for a very long time. And you've been doing all the Christian things. And you are a child of God, there's no question. But you haven't fully given your life and heart over to him. Now is the time to do it. Now is the time to fully commit yourself to him and pray and ask the spirit to start rooting stuff out in your life. To take a shovel and start digging things up and finding the roots and the things that have taken hold in your life. Where you look more like the world than you look like Jesus. Where you're hanging on to material things and trusting in material things rather than trusting in him. And finding all of those things and digging them up and letting him dig them up. And then when he digs them up and shows you, like he often shows me, the ugliness that still exists here. Being willing to take the step to change. 
and to get your life and your behavior in line with who you are and the character that he's developing in you. Because you are not of those, and I am not of those, who draw back to perdition. But we are of those who believe to the saving of our soul. And what a blessing that we have each other as we do this. He said, to the, he said to the Hebrews, the author said to the Hebrews, that this happened, while this happened, you faced all kinds of persecution. Well, that was happening. But also, you drew together as you went through it together. And we are in this together as a church. As we make these decisions, things that may feel like sacrifices, we're here to support each other and care for each other. And so you're not alone. You're not doing it on your own. And we're here together. All right, so let's pray. Let's go to the Father together today and commit ourselves to him. Father, we thank you so much and we love you. We love you with all of our heart. And we are so thankful for what you've done for us. Truthfully, the the fact that you gave your son for us. And Christ, the fact that you gave your life on the cross for us in our place. That you died for us on the cross and rose again on the third day and that you would offer rightness to us, restoration to us, that you would offer the opportunity for us to be called a child of God. That's enough. That is enough. That's enough for us after we put our faith in you, Jesus. And I pray there may be someone here today, God with us, who puts their faith in you for the first time, trust in Jesus for salvation for the first time today. And after we do that, we, we should give our entire life back to you just out of gratitude. Even if there were no reward, even if there were no, no payoff, even if there were nothing like that, if, there, if, if it were just, you are my child, if you, if you called us your child and made us right before you, that's enough for us to give our entire life back to you as an offering. To commit ourselves to living the life that you created us and designed us to live, the way it's supposed to be. That's enough. But you have also promised us that when we sacrifice, when we follow, when we do and live as you've called us to live, that there will be reward for that. What a blessing. And we we trust you for that and, and we thank you for it. And we want we want our entire life in the very depth of our soul out to the most minute action, behavior, choice to look like Jesus. And you're in the process of doing that in our life. Forgive us for where we've continued to hold on to worldly things and trust in them. It's not having them, it's trusting them, God. You don't want us to put our hope or our trust here. Forgive us for trusting in people to do in us what you want to do or to do for us what you want to do for us. Forgive us for for hanging on out of fear of, of 
future here or out of consequences or out of whatever, whatever has caused us to hang on to things. Forgive us for doing that. We want to live our life with an open hand before you, fully confident and trusting that you will do what you say you will do. Now, for all of the decisions that we have to make, there's and there's a million of them in this room alone, all the decisions that we have to make to truly look like Jesus, decisions to put things down or to pick things up, to, 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 to change and transform. A lot of them hurt. A lot of them are, are, are difficult. It's tough to break the, the chains that bind us to these things. And so God, as we make these decisions, hard ones, sacrificial ones, ones that, that people around us might think are crazy. We want you to know the reason we're doing them is because we have faith. Faith that you will do what you promise. Faith that you, will, that you have saved us. Faith that you will transform us completely into the image of Jesus. Faith that we are going to spend eternity with you Faith that we are going to be a part of Christ's kingdom. Faith that there will be reward. Faith that we, as we do this, are growing closer and closer to you. That that the, the decisions that we make, the actions that we do in love, in your name, in sacrifice, in your name matter. They, they matter far beyond here and now. So give us, as the author of Hebrews says, what we need, God, endurance. Give us endurance. Give us confidence. Give us assurance. Give us boldness. So that tomorrow morning when we're in prayer and you say, this is what I want you to let go, that in faith we will do it. And so, Father, I take all of this, every decision that, that I'll be making, every decision that's being made in the room, and we offer them to you, these intentions. At this moment, these intentions we offer up to you. Give us the boldness to take these intentions and turn them into actions, to follow through and to do it in your name so that we can pursue our ultimate goal, which is not success here. It's not popularity. It's not comfort. It's not earthly security. It's not freedom. Our goal is faithfulness to you, period. And so hear the decisions that we're making right now and inspire us and lead us to follow through on those decisions so that our 
behavior, that our life, our choices, our decisions can match who we are. A son, a daughter of God, a citizen of Christ's kingdom being transformed into the glorious image of Jesus. Lord, we love you and we ask as you receive all of this into your hands that you comfort us and continue to lead us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.